Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. To convince a child to keep walking, try switching roles with them. Let the child play the role of the parent. They'll immediately do what you want them to do. You are raising in your home people that the Bible is very clear about their status. They need to be converted. Not just a conformity of their behavior. They need a transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate priority. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It's time. It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voice Mails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, this is Wretched Radio. Uh, muchas gracias for sending questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. And while you're at it, don't forget anything wretched. I covet it in the non-sinful kind of way, please. We, there's just no, we could have a staff of a hundred to do research and we wouldn't find what you come up with on the internet that is wretched content. So please send it to idea at wretched.org. All right. We start with a question from Oseal. Todd, my wife and I are expecting a baby and we're considering a 12-week paternity leave. Some people have advised against that, claiming that it's rooted in unbiblical ideas. I'm researching the topic, but I struggle to find answers. Do you have any insight you could provide? What Bible verse would say that you shouldn't take time off when you have a baby? I'm trying to think. I, I presume somebody has some biblical support or at least... An allusion to a Bible verse—that's <laughs> up to each family. I, I don't know your finances. I don't. I don't know your economic situation. If you have the ability to take that luxury, you want to make sure, of course, that it doesn't become so extended that you're just being, you know, kind of slothful and using the baby as an opportunity to just be a little bit on the lazy side. But short of that, I don't think that there should be any rules, certainly not biblical rules about that. If your organization, the company that you work for, offers you 12 weeks of paternity and they're going to pay you, you know what I would say? Here's what I would say to that company. Thank you. See ya. And I'd go home and I'd enjoy my wife and I'd enjoy my baby. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This next one, it's an interesting question. Uh, you remember when we talked earlier this week about the uh, Saddleback Creative Team? Yes. And so this one's from Christopher, who uh, just listened to that episode, and he wanted to dive deeper into the, to the thought about that. He said, I do believe the modern church exploits the use of creativity for shameful gain like Saddleback. Uh, however, I also believe that creativity is a gift from God, and we as Christians should use it to bring Him glory. I believe we should do things with excellence, reflecting the excellence of our Creator. To what extent do you think Christians should utilize creativity in the church? I think the question is, why? Why do we want to create something that gets incorporated into the worship service? That's that's the question that has to be answered. The problem with these creative teams, and we see them all over the place, especially in bigger churches, the why is so that more people will come because they're really interested in seeing Snow White or Bo Peep or whatever it was that the pastor couple was dressed up as. The why is growth. 
The why is seeker sensitivity. It needs to be rejected. Really, just ask yourself the question. Let's do a regulative principle question. Do we think that God looks down on a church where the pastor is dressed up like Woody the Cowboy while he delivers a sermon based on themes in the movie Toy Story? Does that please God? Now, it might tickle somebody's ears. It might draw somebody who happens to be a Toy Story fanatic. But that's not the question. The question isn't, do the humans enjoy it? Really, our preferences mean zip. God's preferences that matter. We ask, what does he want? And so if you are asking the question, why should we be creative? Because we want we want God's glory to be reflective through creative worship. Okay, as long as it stays in the confines of the propriety that the Bible, I think, defines for us. Okay, um, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Sure, do those things. But if it means doing a play, no, that's, that's not what God endorses. God endorses the preaching of his word, not putting on a show. We've got to be regulated by something other than our own creativity and desires. So if you've got a creative bone in your body and you're a part of a local church and you think that there is something that God would be super pleased with on Sunday morning if we did this, then pursue it with the pastor. Unfortunately, that's not the reason why most people have creative teams. I'm I'm just thinking back to to. When I was really young and went to a church, and there were definitely talented people there, super creative, but would they have ever dressed up like Woody the Cowboy? Not a chance. Not not, not a chance. It would be something God-honoring, not something ear-tickling. You know, I was thinking about that pastor dressed up like Woody the Cowboy. It reveals such a poor understanding, a low understanding of his office. He's the shepherd of souls, which is why I don't get it. If, if, if I walked into a church and the pastor came out dressed up like a Toy Story cowboy, I'd be like the roadrunner out the door. This man is supposed to be tending their souls. He's going to give an account for that. This is the office of elder is serious business. It is earnest work. It is eternal work that is being done. And this guy comes out dressed like Woody the Cowboy? And the people who sat there apparently have just as low an understanding of the relationship between the congregant and the elder. We're, how can, you know, I think the only reason somebody who's older than Woody the Cowboy pastor would sit there for that is they don't realize, hey, that guy could discipline me. Hey, that guy could correct me. He has the authority to come alongside me and say, hey, brother, you... I need to rebuke you for this, and you would do well to listen to it. Otherwise, there'll be even greater consequences. <laughs> okay, knowing that, would you sit and watch Pastor Woody preach a sermon? Idea at wretched.org. All right, this next one is from Nathan. Todd, both of my parents are devout and wise Christians. Recently, they've condemned me for being too aggressive in evangelism. I use a uh, way of the master, but they say I need to build a relationship with people before I evangelize and that people can smell my ulterior motives when I talk to them. 
Am I wrong? No, I, I don't know. There are three critiques that were revealed in that. Too aggressive, need to have a relationship and ulterior motives. I, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I, I, I don't know if you are being too forceful with people. So check your motives. It is so liberating to not try to convert somebody. <laughs> it really is freeing. Takes off all the pressure. It allows you to just sit and talk, not get antsy. Come on, hurry up and finish up with your, with your dopey thinking so I can get to the gospel. It just all goes away. Holy Spirit does the converting. I'm just supposed to be faithful. So pleasantly approach somebody and witness to them lovingly without ulterior motive. I mean, your, your motive is to share the gospel. It shouldn't be hidden. It shouldn't be subtle. You should just share the gospel with somebody. Now, as far as you've got to befriend somebody first, um, I don't see that in John chapter 4. What about the woman at the well? Jesus, right into it. Boom! Revealing her sin. By, by using a request for water to reveal her sin. And he witnesses to her. Didn't become friends. Didn't go to a club with her for six weeks. And then finally try to get around to the gospel. Nope, right there. So I don't, and Paul, when he would go into a town... We read in Acts chapter 17, he's in the marketplace. What is he doing? He's using the law and the prophets to reason with people from the scriptures. Didn't stay when they find some Greeks, when bake some baklava for them in order to befriend them and then share them. Nope, you can get right to it. No, do it graciously, but you really don't need to develop a relationship. In fact, I would argue it's actually harder to witness to people with whom you do have a relationship. It's just harder. Now, I will also tell you this, though. Even though, yeah, it is harder, but it's only if you're thinking you got to win this one. Because if you're dealing with a friend, it's, 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 your, it's, it's the guy that you go to the gym with, your workout buddy. Well, you've known him now for, you've seen him at the gym for years. And so now you're going to finally, having built a relationship, oh, I got to somehow get to this. That's nerve wracking. Lose that. And just share the gospel with them because you want them to hear something good. And if they shut you down, you go, okay, would you spot me now? No, I always trust a pagan to spot you on the bench. I'm just trying to be helpful here. But when you don't feel like it is your job to convert somebody, oh, wow. Wow. Just imagine if you were going to a campus and you had an envelope and it had $10,000 in it and you were charged to give it to one person, one person. Oh, I, oh, 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 oh. I better befriend somebody before I give them this money. Oh, you joyfully say, I've got something great for you. Ditto with the gospel. This is Wretched Radio. Sorry to ask you to do some arithmetic, but this is some math that will encourage you and make you very, very happy. This is one testimony of a mother who chose life because she saw her own baby courtesy of an ultrasound from Preborn. 
I was terrified. I really didn't know what to do. The first time I saw the ultrasound, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, is that my baby? And I, like, I heard her heartbeat and I, I just, I just fell in love. If I could care about my daughter this much, if I could love my daughter this much, how much does God love me? Now take that one testimony and multiply it by 54,253 because that is the number of babies that were saved last year because of ultrasounds at preborn centers. Would you please help us grow that number by providing as many ultrasounds as possible at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched. Are you tired of the endless scrolling and mindless internet browsing? Well, you can absolutely break free from the digital realm and enter the Bible Zone. This month, we invite you to unlock the power of the scriptures with our exclusive Bible Zone bundle. With the Bible Zone bundle, not only will you learn to read your Bible better, but you'll also desire to read it more. This $100 value is available all month long for only $39.99. Buckle up and get ready to enter the Bible Zone by picking up the Bible Zone bundle, including Herman Who, It's Not Greek to Me, Drive-By Theology, Jesus Unmasked, plus all four study guides to go along with the resources, all for $39.99, but only during the month of August. Visit wretched.org slash Zone right now to place your order, but hurry up before time runs out. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Important dates in Christian history. 1559. John Knox returns to Scotland to lead Reformation there after a period of exile in Calvin's Geneva. Knox founded the Presbyterian Church, which became a driving force in English politics and the American Revolution. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Gotta be careful at the gym. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, I knew it. I knew it. I just knew it. I, I read a headline someplace mm-hmm. that a weightlifter died at the gym. I thought the bar, like, dropped on his neck is what I recall. Uh, yeah, this says a uh, bodybuilder in Indonesia uh, died after snapping his neck, attempting a massive squat. So he was, okay, so it wasn't on the, I, see, I imagined it would be on the bench uh-huh. that somehow just fell on his neck and broke it, it but he was doing a squat so it, he must have fallen and then it came tumbling down behind him and crushed his neck i think so i'm, I'm scanning yeah. through it uh what sticks out is 881 pounds <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> okay 
This is the lamest segue into a diatribe aimed at you, young man. There are some things you need to put behind. (laughs) There are risky behaviors that just need to go. I think trying to squat 881 pounds, probably one of those things, especially if you're married, you have children, don't do dangerous things. Don't put your life at now. You said, well, driving a car. People can get killed driving a car. Right. I'm talking about unnecessary risk. Driving an automobile, it's a part of life. And it's not risky behavior. Now, let's just say that your downtown decides it's drunk driving night. Driving downtown that night would be risky behavior. Otherwise, it's not. And so things, you know, I remember... Before I got married, the stupid stuff that I did, I remember doing a bit at KDWB, the morning show. I went out to wash windows and I was and I was on the phone back to the studio and I was supposed to make jokes about washing windows. I got the thing strapped on. It was like a seven-story building, something like that, five, seven stories in downtown Minneapolis. And I got into the harness and just boop, boop, down the side of the wall. I'd never do that when I'm married. I was a knucklehead. Didn't need now. If you're a window washer, that 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 might even be considered too risky of a job for a married man with kids. But if it isn't risky because of the equipment, because of your training, no, then window wash on. I wasn't trained. I was a dope. That sort of stuff. Just you have to say bye bye to those risky things. Dare I say, Paul, put away childish things and use it to apply here? I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. You just put these things behind. And here's another one I would encourage you to consider putting behind you. I'm not saying that it's a sin. I'm just saying video games might fall into the category of childish things. Mrs. Friel, every time that we talk about this subject, because I, I'm I'm on the record, it's not a sin to play a video game. You will use that for relaxation. Then you, you know what? That's you you use your discretionary time. I'm talking about being consumed with these video games and even what some of these video games are. Interestingly, I just caught a snippet of he caught Ben Shapiro called Vodi Bakum. Vadi Bakum. Mm. We, have we had it wrong all these years? <laughs> I don't think so. I've like called him Vody to his face a hundred times. <laughs> I thought he would have corrected me. Why didn't he grab Ben Shapiro by the ear? It's Vody. Because he could and actually just take his ear. He could Malchus him That's is true. what he could do. He said, did you notice that young men, because there's such an assault on young men, that they spend a lot of time playing video games that simulate masculine activities? Ooh, that's a pretty sharp insight. And then it, then it came as an encouragement. These young men, they do want more. They do want more. And I can't recall if I heard Vodivati say this, but it's just get, get started. You don't have to have it all sorted. Just start putting things behind you and assuming more of those activities and attitudes and behaviors of an adult male. Back to Mrs. Friel. She was. She would always say whenever we talk about video games, um, "Hey, hey, Jimmy, I'm going to go play with my Barbies. I got a new castle, and I'm going to play with my Barbies." And Ken is going to pull up in his convertible. You'd go, 
uh, Mrs. Friel, that is not appropriate for a woman. That's a childish thing. Now, at least have the debate about whether or not video games are a childish thing. Again, not a sin. But really, how much time do you need running around with some guy with a gun in his hand shooting whatever it is that you're aiming at? I, or, I, just, just put some stuff behind. And definitely say bye-bye to the risky behavior, especially when you say I do. You got responsibilities now, and you can no longer be a risk-taking knucklehead. Idea at wretched.org. Now, I'm not going to say that it's uh, that you can't put 881 pounds on a, on a barbell. Because you've well, tried it? No, 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 no. But, I mean, I think you could put 881 pounds on it and then take it back off. But I and, well, and that would be your workout because it probably would take a long time to put eight hundred and eighty one pounds. That's four hundred and forty pounds on each side, and that thing is what six feet. I think the bar is about yeah, yeah, six yeah. feet. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. No, it probably wouldn't be that much because the bar is forty five. But at any rate, so it'd be like four hundred pounds on each side. Mm-hmm. Wow, the thing could snap, couldn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yikes! I've seen some of those. That that can be nasty when a guy loses control of a of a squat like that. That thing comes flying. This guy died from it. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, this is a question from Kaylee. Uh, Kaylee has a, it's just an interesting question. She says, uh, Todd, I want your biblical perspective on the dilemma between my husband and I. Uh, we've been married for a few years now. And last year, my husband told me how deeply he desired a motorcycle and would like to get one when we can afford it. Uh, we've argued over this as I believe they're dangerous. And, but well, I, want- I think the question's been answered. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she said, I want to be submissive, and I know nothing can happen to him apart from God's sovereign will. I know that. But I also know that my husband's responsibility is to die to his desires for his wife. Mm-hmm. I also know uh, that does not absolve me of mutual submission. Sure. So should he be able to get one, or should my conviction be more important to yeah, him? Yeah, that's, you know what, that's, that's going <laughs> to be a debate for the rest of your marriage. We both sacrifice. We both give. Now, my, my, my aforementioned diatribe about dangerous activities aside, let's just talk in generalities. If I, as a spouse, now I'm just talking about not being a spouse, not necessarily a male or female spouse. My spouse doesn't like something. I don't do it. Simple as you don't, Want that for dinner? Then I don't want that for dinner. Even if I really would love corn on the cob, on the grill, oh, just smothered in butter with salt. I'm not in the mood for that. Then neither am I. You just surrender, surrender, surrender. And you say, well, okay, what about about my spouse? Your spouse is doing the exact same thing. And what is happening to both of you in the process is that you are becoming like Jesus Christ. I'm not kidding. Philippians 2. Set it aside. I'm I'm on a rescue mission. I should be getting worshipped. I should be receiving all praise. Setting aside. And I'm coming to be a servant. And when you do the same thing inside of the marriage covenant, you're going to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Jimmy, I'm actually getting excited. I, I sure hope. I'm not fully confident yet that the book that I've been working on (laughs) is great. I'm not sure, but I'm starting to think maybe it's getting at least into the the good or really good category. Okay. 
because I'm doing trying to do a deep dive examination without being ridiculous, how everything has a divine string, everything that you do. And there is probably no institution, no activity, no person, place, or thing that reflects that more than marriage. It's the longest chapter in the book that I'm writing, showing how your marriage, it's just got, it's just got Jesus all over it, all over it. That was just one example. You surrender your desires to your spouse. What are you doing? You're acting like Jesus. Whoa. You mean I gave up my corn on the cob on the grill and that's making me more like Jesus? Yep. Yes, it is. Because that's what he is. He gives and he gives and he lavishes and he doesn't insist on his own way with, with living on this earth. Now, make no mistake about it. God's ways that are set, his laws and his precepts, yeah, he's going to have his way. But we're talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity on this planet, fully God, fully man. And just gave it up, gave it up. Didn't come to be served, but to serve. And your marriage is like that. Stop seeing the things that your spouse does as annoyances. No, their, their preferences, then they can be overlooked. But if they're sins, then you rescue one who is ensnared in sin. You see, it's the marriage is all about Jesus. So not to enter into the fray between this husband and wife, forget about the risks that are increased when you drive a motorcycle as opposed to an, enclo- an enclosed vehicle where you've got at least some metal around you. Don't have to wear a helmet when you're in a car. I'm just saying, but I'm not going to comment on that. Give it up. And if your husband decides he's going to get it, all right, honey, that's fine. Just take out a life insurance policy. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Our first story today brings us to the world stage, kind of, sort of. USAID has unveiled a new plan for promoting comprehensive sexual education abroad. They say it's a framework that includes a policy goal of aiding and access to LGBTQ inclusive development. Comprehensive sexuality education can really mean a lot of different things. In this case, though, it means sexual health care and reproductive rights, which most often translates to, yeah, you got it, abortion. Our tax dollars hard at work, folks. It's really like spending your money on a very expensive car. But instead of driving said car, you decide, hey, this would probably work better if I push the car uphill and backwards. (sighs) Meanwhile, in Chicago, the new mayor, Brandon Johnson, has proven to be even more woke than the previous mayor, Lori Lightfoot. And if you didn't think that was possible, you would be wrong. So it seems like teenagers in Chicago have found a new pastime, gathering together in large mobs and looting stores. And after it happened this past weekend, a reporter asked Mayor Johnson about it, and instead of answering the question of the reporter directly, he instead scolded the reporter for using the term mob saying instead, we should call them large gatherings, not mobs. Yeah, because that's what matters here, Mayor. Not using woke enough language. 
Moving on to Louisiana, the state's passed a law that requires all public schools to display In God We Trust in every single classroom. And you know that didn't go by without any opposition, especially from the ACLU. The ACLU of Louisiana raised a stink about the law, but the author of the bill insists that it's not about promoting any particular religion. It's just a general reminder that there's something out there that's bigger than all of us. Yep, whatever the reason is, I'd be surprised if this stands for very long. But I don't know. I've been wrong before. In Iowa, nearly 400 books are under review by a school district to verify their compliance with a new state law that prohibits schools from purchasing books with sex acts or teaching gender identity to students younger than 7th grade. Among the books under scrutiny are titles like Gender Queer and All Boys Aren't Blue. This is like the literary version of Survivor. Which book is going to get voted off the library shelf this week? For what it's worth, if you've got to scrutinize the books, just pull them all. They're probably not going to add much enrichment to your child's education anyway. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Mark was a follower of Christ, traveling companion of Paul, an associate of Peter. His gospel presents Jesus as the Son of God. Here, Jesus is the perfect example of self-sacrifice, the suffering servant who died as a ransom for our sins. When you suffer for obedience to Christ, do not be ashamed, for Christ suffered and died for our disobedience. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's just keep... Riding that motorcycle for a moment, shall we? This is Wretched Radio. You're a wife whose husband wants to buy a motorcycle. You've got the internet and you know that it's riskier to drive a motorcycle than a car. You express your concerns. In fact, it gets to the point where you say, honey, please don't buy that motorcycle. And he does it anyway. How is that connected to Christ? Because it is Everything is. You are glorifying God no matter what you do. It's either a little or it's a lotl. You're in a closed system. You cannot escape this reality. The wife has a choice. The husband makes a decision she doesn't like. Choice number one is fleshly. I'm annoyed by this. I'm angry about this. I am going to tell all of my friends and perhaps his friends too. I am going to complain about my husband to my parents. And I am going to let a root of bitterness grow deep because that was just stupid. And it disrespected me. And it indicates that he doesn't really love me. He likes risk-taking more than his spouse. And that will glorify God. You say, wait a second. Sinful behavior will glorify God? Yep. How? Because it runs through the cross. Your sins, even as a believer, uh, they were paid for by Jesus. So when you sin as a Christian, I'm just saying it glorifies God. Now, does that cause you to say, well, then I'm going to sin a lot. God gets glory. No, it doesn't. That's not the, that's the exact opposite motivation. Romans 6.1. You don't go on sinning that grace might more abound, that God's glory might more abound. It does, even when a believer sins, because Jesus had to pay the price for it. Furthermore, it is a demonstration of God's forbearance. Even as a believer, God is putting up with this. I mean, really, I think we sometimes forget 
that God's patience didn't get set on a shelf when he saved us. He had amazing forbearance with us before he saved any of us. Putting up with pagans running all over the place, reaches down, regenerates us. And now it's like he's got nothing to put up with. He has to put up with so much. And so if you choose the route of the flesh, you will be revealing God's forbearance in that he doesn't squash you like a bug and he puts up with you. And Jesus gets glory because that sin still washed clean. You can choose righteousness. Lord, you know how I feel about this. I'm scared and I'm hurt. And, 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 and I feel like our relationship is rockier than it's ever been. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to lean on you. Help me to cast all of my cares on you. Help me to know that whatever you do in this situation is for our good. My husband, help me to just really believe. I get it on paper, but help me to believe that my husband riding a motorcycle was ordained by you. Otherwise, he wouldn't be riding that stupid motorcycle. Okay, keep your emotions in check. You can choose to do that. And what's going to happen in the process? You're going to love God more, trust God more. You're going to experience his power more as he carries you through with his strength the strength that you don't possess as he calms your troubled heart, as he perhaps, as he even perhaps helps you to battle with some sins. Because maybe, just maybe, your husband has become an idol. That's a pos- I'm just saying it's a possibility. That I got to have a husband or how will I possibly live? Well, you'll possibly live because God has ordained for you to live and your husband to die. And it's only when an object becomes an idol Do we feel terrified about losing it? So maybe God, if that's what's going on in my heart, help me to get this right. Not so that I can love my husband less, but so that I can love him more rightly. The choice, everything you do, everything you do has an eternal tag on it. It, it, It's just whether or not your, your tag is 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 going to have a higher and higher number if you will if it's going to have greater and greater value just consider 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 we're going to heaven it, it's 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 going to be judged what we do here this is Ecclesiastes 12 13 and 14 here's the end of the deal i've tried everything it's all vanity obey god you're going to be judged wow how is that supposed to end this dreary book on a cheery note it's because what you do here has eternal value. And God will be glorified by you. The choice is yours, how much you are going to do that and in what regard. And this is where I think it's important for us to think about the option. Because you can know you're going to glorify God by lacking in faith, lacking in trust, becoming bitter. That's 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 a punier glory for God. It's a great glory when you lean on his everlasting arms, when you trust him, when you know that he's sovereign and you surrender to his will and you know that he has got this. Why why don't you want to choose the best? Obviously, the latter is better. Obviously. Why do you choose the former? Since as the better thing the more abundant thing. 
our immediate view, our, our flesh just craves immediate gratification. There's a longer gratification. I can't recall. Uh, the quote is something like, Happy, happiness isn't a destination. Happiness is the result of a life well-lived. Live your life for the Lord, and increasingly you will experience deeper things than just satisfying the cravings of the flesh. Your choice, idea at wretched.org. All right, this question is from John. Uh, Todd, what advice would you give a younger single pastor? To read 1 Timothy <laughs> one, First Timothy 2. That's not the question. No, first, first Timothy and Second Timothy. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Sorry, Rexella. What advice would you give a younger single pastor at a new church? He says, I strive to protect the flock God has brought me, but I'm not sure where else to meet a woman who has Christian values. I got this. Okay. E-harmony. Piece of cake. Cast the net out there. Use the tools that our culture provides. We don't have the systems that once existed. It's ideal that we all find our spouses in our own church. It, that would be ideal. Well, that isn't always reality. And these days, woo, that's that's like a dream. Oh, yeah, I guess that would be nice. We used to do stuff like that. So use the tools that you got. I wouldn't feel, but whatever the stigma that continues to linger for dating apps. Now, I'm not talking about the ones. I'm talking about the good ones, the Christian mingles, the e-harmonies. Utilize them. Cast the net because you could find a spouse in your congregation, and it does happen. But wow, is that fraught with danger. <laughs> I mean, there's a million landmines in that. So young, young pastor, you're already exhibiting maturity and recognizing, okay, this, this, this could be more dangerous than, I don't know, riding a motorcycle. I'm sorry to the husband. That was, that was just plain cheap right there. You're right. It could be. A, now, it shouldn't be a problem, but it, it has a it has a high chance of becoming something that could be scandalous. It could cause divisions. It could cause acrimony. It could cause people to leave. Now, having said all that, exercise wisdom. There are certainly circumstances where it might make a great deal of sense. So I think that the, the answer to your question is, can I look for a spouse in the church? Well, the answer is yes. Does that mean you should be pursuing that person? If I were you, I would receive so much counsel, so much input, not because just because you're young, but because you need that in this. The waters are choppy. When the pastor identifies a woman in the flock that he says, I think I want that to be my wife. So be super wise about how you pursue it. Jimmy, you got anything else for this young man? Yeah. So I think uh, where I would start is, and, and as a young pastor, this is going to help you in a couple of different fronts, but I would befriend other pastors in your area. Okay. And uh, because yeah. they can counsel you and, yeah. and you'll need that. But then you, as you become friends with them and friendly, you make it known your intentions of being married and maybe they've got people in their no, church. Oh, sure. That, that, yeah, that's another way of throwing out the net. Right. 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 And that would be safer. Look, you, you, you couldn't say that it's a sin for a pastor to pursue a woman in his congregation, but wisdom might say something different. How do you know if it's wise or not? Probably going to need help with that. How mature is she? How mature is the family? How mature is the body? How mature are you? What 
Let's just what when what would this even look like? And let's just say six months into it, one of you pulls the plug. What's that look like on Sunday morning? So you might have to sacrifice a desire for a woman that you find attractive and perhaps checks all the boxes in Proverbs 31. Um, but that would be that would be a mark of wisdom. Having said that, if you're gonna proceed, do it with caution. And then read first and second Timothy a lot, because young pastors need those two particular letters. This is Wretched Radio. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are so glad you're here. But have you ever prayerfully considered officially joining the Gospel Partner family? You know, the folks that have come together to help us reach millions all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we want you to join us in that mission. And as you prayerfully and humbly consider becoming an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel Partner, we promise we will never, ever, ever waste your hard-earned dollars on frivolous things like private tennis lessons or anything ridiculous like that. No, 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. We're ECFA approved, which means it's a verifiable fact that you can check for yourself. We're even more accountable than a referee at the Super Bowl. So jump on board, become an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner by visiting wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing Gospel. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God it's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the bridegroom, 
Christians are waiting for Christ's return, which the book of Revelation describes as the wedding of the Lamb. Christ will come to usher His bride, His church, into eternity with Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. What's on your mind? Radio. That's the number of the old toll-free where you can express whatever you're thinking. Watch this, Jimmy. Want to know what I'm thinking? I'll tell you anyway. I'm thinking about the Tomorrow Clubs because I just watched Daniel's production of a commercial for the Tomorrow Clubs. I'm telling you, why are we... Somebody call the Kendrick brothers. They need to start making movies about what happens to people in Eastern Europe and now in Africa because the Tomorrow Clubs, they invade villages usually not visited by many ministries. They're little Awana kids clubs, like, if you will, called Tomorrow Clubs. They love on the kids. They get some treats. They hear the gospel. They learn the Bible. They pray with the kids, sing with the kids. They get saved, and then the parents get saved. Oh, just the fruit that comes out of that ministry. If you like to see people get saved, whether it's Eastern Europe or Africa, please consider supporting the wonderful ministry of the Tomorrow Clubs. They are indeed a gospel-centered ministry. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. That's what I'm thinking. How's about you? Hi there. My wife is newly serving on the women's ministry in our church, and she found out that one of the women in charge is actually married to another woman. And Hold on. quite open about it. Now, we both believe that we should approach our elders for guidance, but... Historically, our church has been very soft on LGBT uh, issues. Oh, boy. This is an opportunity for 1 Corinthians 13 to shine. Hope in the best, man. Just hope the best because it doesn't sound really hopeful. If What is a woman in leadership that's married to another woman? What is she doing in that position? Wasn't that vetted? Oh, wow. So they either didn't do their job as elders to protect the sheep or... They maybe are indeed squishy on the subject. Yikes. What do I think you should do? You're right, sir. I would I would go to the elders and I would I would encourage you uh, to be not not forceful and demanding, but to make sure that this one isn't skated by and they just kind of okay, well we'll look into this and we'll get back. It's like this should, this is a no-brainer. Are you going to lovingly confront this woman in her sin? Well, we got to talk about how we're going to deal with it because we got a lot of situation. We don't know who would take care of that. No, you, you guys get the, all of that sorted. My question is, are you going to be biblical? Are you going to be a local church? Because a church that doesn't practice discipline ever isn't a church. Will you be confronting her in her sin in love? And if they don't, then you don't have a church. I hope they do. Discipline is love. It's not loving to see somebody in willful, unrepentant sin and just let it go. So approach them lovingly, approach them humbly, but make sure your questions aren't just open-ended because they should be able to answer it on the spot. They should know the answer to this question. Oh, boy. In leadership, in the church. Yeah. Yeah, we're supposed to hope all things. This is this is going to be a hard one to hope for a good response from the elders. Hey, Todd and team. Uh, my question is, 
did Satan want Jesus to go to the cross? I've heard pastors, some pastors say yes, some pastors say no. What say you? The reason for my slight hesitation is because the land of speculation is often fraught with buried landmines. Sometimes these conversations imagining what about this possibility or how does God do that? It can blow some people up. It can cause them to be confused or to think, well, the Bible isn't clear on everything. Well, if the Bible isn't clear on something, it's because the Bible doesn't want you to know it, which means when it comes to speculation, I'm not saying we can never enter that territory, but just consider any potential dangers. So let's tiptoe. Very, very careful we, shall we? Let's ask this question first to try to get our self advanced down the road. Did the devil know that Jesus was going to be crucified? I would have to say the answer to that is yes. The devil, how ironic is this? He hadn't unhitched his Old Testament. And so he knew the promise. He was in the garden when he was told, your head is going to be squashed. A heel is going to be bruised. And he knew the seed was going to be the second person of the Trinity. Why? Because the Old Testament is littered with clear teachings that the Messiah was going to be God with us. That this was going to be somebody who was a rescuer and a redeemer who was going to be really beaten and bloodied because Satan had read Psalm 22. He read Isaiah 52 and 53. And that is why both Jesus and Paul talked about how the Messiah, the Old Testament, makes it very clear the Messiah had to suffer, die, and rise again. So you have everything you need to know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Fuzzy, but I think the devil knew that Jesus, the second person of the Trinitarian Godhead, takes on flesh. Oh. So I do think that the devil knew that Jesus was going to be crucified. Now, did he want that to happen? Well, before we get to the cross itself, let's consider the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Consider the desert and the temptation that took place in the wilderness. Why would the devil do that? He was trying to thwart the mission, indicating he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. With those thoughts as the backdrop, let's go to Luke 22, which talks about the devil entered into him and Judas went and betrayed him. Now, I'd have to dive into the text a little bit deeper, but I don't know that it said the devil entered him so that Judas would betray him so that Jesus would go to the cross. So I could understand why somebody would say, well, the devil was was trying to get him to the cross. Well, I don't think the text tells us that much. It does tell us what it tells us. Many time we go beyond that to build a case to answer a question in a particular way. Oh, that, that's eisegesis. That is an exegesis. So as I weigh all of this, knowing that the cross was the payment, the resurrection was the receipt, that the devil's fate was sealed. I I can't think of any biblical reason to suggest why he would want that to happen. Now, this is, so here comes some pure speculation. Well, maybe he was just, you know, he saw that the time was coming, so he thought, you know, maybe if it's like he, he, he makes it happen sooner and Jesus isn't ready, he'll wimp out. Well, it's just pure speculation. You got a Bible verse that would suggest otherwise? one 282 beep Jimmy, 
Here's where the, this type of question, though, might cause somebody to get stirred. And I don't actually mind hitting this one head on because I think it's always worthy to, of our time to get the issue of evil straight. Well, the devil entered, let's just, the devil entered in and, G, and Judas betrayed. Mm -hmm. Well, why did God permit that? That's because it was God's preordained plan. Well, was God responsible for what the devil did? Nope, no more than he was responsible for what the soldiers did, for what Pontius Pilate did, for what the, 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 the Roman guards did when they were nailing our Savior's hands to the tree. God is the ultimate cause. There are proximate causes and efficient causes. Remember Dr. Peter Salmon's book, Reprobation and the Sovereignty of God? God is the ultimate cause. He ordains everything. There are proximate causes, worldviews. God doesn't provide something that somebody might need to make a better decision. He doesn't have to provide that information. So they, they do something sinful, and then he uses that as a proximate cause. Then the individual who carries out the sin is the efficient cause. So God is separated from culpability when it comes to the subject of evil. You got a Bible verse that maybe would point us in a different direction? Happy to hear it. one 282 beep one 282 Hey, Todd, this is Derek. Um, I'm 16 years old, and I wanted to ask you how we should go about confronting or just bringing up the issue to friends about using the verse in context. Uh, lovingly. <laughs> Perhaps backing up before trying to figure out the strategy, I think is biblical and helpful. Your desire is good, but my question is why? Do you just want them to stop coming up with dopey interpretations? Do you want them to know that there's that you're right and they're doing it wrong? Is it that you want them to know the fullness of scriptures and that by studying grammatical historical hermeneutics, hey... I've heard of a resource called Herman who that, here's what you could do, young man. And we got the deal yeah, going on right yeah. now. The, uh, the Bible's own bundle. That's it. Bible's it's got Herman who. You can avail yourself of that resource and watch it with your teenage friends. I'm sure that they'll love it. Mm. If your motivation is, I want them to know the richness of the Bible so that they can rightly divide the word of truth, then teach them, show them, give them some examples of the importance of historical context, how it colors the scripture. And it keeps us, it does keep us in a box because we don't get to interpret it beyond what the original author intended. Ask them the question, how would you feel if somebody took your words and used them in a way you didn't intend? We don't want to do that with the Bible. Therefore, we study grammatical, historical hermeneutics as contained in Herman Who, which is inside of the Bible's own bundle available at wretched.org. Is that right? And that's it. That's it. And until tomorrow, <laughs> thanks for the plug, young man. Go serve your king. 